Hello, Dental Online Trainers. Dr. Dennis Hartlieb here with you again. Now, there's an old song. Okay, I'm, I'm really dating myself here. And the song comes back from 1976. I was a kid then, and probably most of you weren't even born yet. But anyhow, the song is called Torn Between Two Lovers. Yeah, I know, kind of sappy. The song is by Mary McGregor. And the words go something like this. Torn between two lovers, acting like a fool. Loving both of you is breaking all the rules. Yeah, I know, quite corny. But nonetheless, the reason I bring this up today is because my guest is Dr. Dennis Wells. If you don't know Dennis, I encourage you to Google micro-thin veneers, dura-thin veneers, no-prep veneers. See, Dennis, he's the master of prepless and prepless veneers. He's been doing ultra-conservative veneer preparation for decades. Now, the thing about Dennis, and the reason I brought up Torn Between Two Lovers, is that Dennis was actually a musician, a legit musician. See, he was a bassist for a band that eventually landed in Nashville, Tennessee, the home of country western music. Now, Dennis had graduated from dental school at the University of Tennessee in Memphis, and he returned home to practice dentistry in Arkansas. But then he joined his brother Kent, a professional guitarist, to follow his passion into music. And he kind of put dentistry on the back burner. Now, in part one of our conversation with Dennis, we learned about his background and what eventually convinced him he needed to get back into dentistry. And once in, how he did the deep dive into the world of appearance or cosmetic dentistry. So dental online trainers, kick back and relax and enjoy my conversation with Dr. Dennis Wells. Hello, dental online trainers. Dr. Dennis Hartley back with you again for another exciting sharecast. Hey, if you were around listening to music like Madonna or Dire Straits, maybe Sting's early stuff, I mean, if you remember Michael Jackson's Thriller video when it was released on MTV, I remember it like it was yesterday. It's crazy. Well, guess what? One of the biggest innovations, one of the biggest developments in cosmetic dentistry, it really had not even come to market yet. It's hard to believe, it's hard to imagine, but porcelain veneers weren't curated or they weren't really established in dentistry until the mid-1980s, and really not until the late 1980s and into the 1990s were dentists really getting exposed to the techniques and the protocols for porcelain veneers. I mean, it seems absurd, but it's almost like it's hard to even remember when we didn't have smartphones, but it's not that long ago when porcelain veneers came into the dental existence. Well, I bring this up because our guest today is Dr. Dennis Wells. And Dennis, well, he's, he's got a bunch of, bunch of background stuff that I'm super curious to dig into. But what I'm going to be talking to him or why I bring him on as a guest is that he's been a real innovator and he's really raised the bar on how we do porcelain veneers and our techniques. So I'm bringing Dennis in so we can chat about how we should be rethinking how we're doing our porcelain veneers. Let me tell you a little bit about Dennis before I bring him in. So Dennis, he is the founder of the Nashville Center for Aesthetic Dentistry in Nashville, Tennessee, not Nashville, Arkansas, which we'll talk about in a little bit. He's a graduate of Harding University, which I did a little background on, so we'll talk about Harding, and University of Tennessee Dental School. Go Vols. He received his accreditation with the American Academy of Cosmetic Dentistry, the AACD, back in 1994. I mean, Dennis, I mean, that's incredible. Um, we'll talk about that, how quickly you got, got that taken care of. Center served as an examiner with the ACD accreditation process, which I have as well, which is super cool. Bunch of awards. He received the President's Award from the AACD, which is really a significant accomplishment and a reward. 
He is a fellow member of mine of the American Academy of Restorative Dentistry, uh, which is great to see him just a couple months ago when I put the bug in his ear that I wanted to chat with him. And he uh, he's a, he plays the bass. Um, he had his band, the Matrix Band. I don't know if that's still in existence. He's a man of many skills and many talents. And Dennis, I want to just start out and say thanks for joining us today. I really appreciate you being with us. It is my honor to be here, Dennis. And uh, anybody with the name Dennis, you know, automatically gets a free pass with me on any anything they ask. So uh, it's really great to it's really great to be on your show. And uh, and by the way, thank you for that very glowing introduction and. Uh, and the uh, respect is flowing both ways here. I've gotten to know, and I've done a little digging on you, by the way. And uh, <laughs> hey, get your own and, podcast, buddy. <laughs> uh, the, uh, the accolades certainly are strong in your direction as well. And and I, I have so much respect for you. And I love what you're doing with this show, as you've explained to me your purpose and and the ideas behind it. Uh, what a noble and needed thing to do. So I'm really honored to be here couple things. Number one, um, if there's a more humble dentist in the in our profession, I've yet to meet them. And Dennis, I've gotten to know you a little bit over the years. I, I truly, I don't know there's anyone more humble um, with the successes that you've had. If anyone meets you, I think there's almost a certain deference that you have. Uh, there's a certain shyness that you have. And I, I don't know that you like speaking about all your accolades. I, I imagine it's almost like being at your eulogy when I'm talking about all these, you know, all these accomplishments. What I did not mention, Dennis, or maybe I did mention briefly, but Dennis is, is the cosmetic dentist to a lot of the performing artists in Nashville and in other places places. We're going to chat about that in a little bit. Dennis, I got something for you before we start. I'm going to share my screen. So for those of you who are at on home or wherever and you're watching your videos, let me um, find it here. Here it is, Dennis. I think you might enjoy this. (laughs) You have been digging. Yes, you have. There it is. So there's uh, Dennis's uh, brother, Kent. But if you look right to Kent's left shoulder, there's Dennis Wells with his base at the ready. <laughs> I thought that was pretty cool. That's pretty cool. Well, I, I don't know what, what your uh, conclusion is about that whole uh, era in my life. But uh, I'll tell you briefly that I, I was practicing in a small town in southern Arkansas, uh, ironically, Nashville, Arkansas where I, I began my journey, my dental practice, at, right when I got out of school. And we, my, my brother, who is the guitar player you pointed out, he, he's the real musician in our family, I like to say, and uh, he's gone on to make his living and had a great career in music. But we joined together, my whole family, and created this country music show called Nashville Swing in, in this little town. We bought an old movie theater, and long story short, uh, to our great almost surprise that became a, a pretty big success and uh, we had sold out shows just about every Saturday night and it was something that I was really excited and 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 just loved the whole family spirit of that the guy who sang a lot on our show his name was David Slater he won Star Search back in 1987 and he said hey I'm, I'm going to, to Tennessee I'm going to Nashville and and I got a record deal with Capitol Records I'd love for you guys that I've been playing with every Saturday night to be my, my band and so kind of on a whim, we uh, made the decision to move, well, actually not on a whim, but, but after careful analysis, we uh, decided to pack up all of our stuff. And I actually put my equipment in storage in, in Nashville, Tennessee, and went out on the road with this guy for about a year and a half. And so it was an interesting time, and I learned a lot. I, I learned just how weak I am as a musician, in, in fact, 
And when you come to this city, you, you, you better bring your hat in your hand uh, because there's some killer players here, as we all know. And, and so it was exciting and fun. And one of the things that I would have never been able to imagine is that it connected me with the music industry in a way that I was able to then turn around and start my dental practice there and sort of market and cater to that group of people, both both in the executive part of that as well as artists. And so it turned out to be a real blessing for me. And I uh, don't like to parade around that I'm a musician because I feel I feel pretty inept in that. But I tell you this, I, I, I am a wannabe musician and I had a great time and I still to this day enjoy playing a little bit, but that's definitely... Uh, not my career. What was the name of the band, first of all? Well, I was in several bands through the years. Uh, the Matrix band you, you mentioned earlier was actually a group of dentists out of the AACD that right. we had a ball doing that. My brother would come join us as a, a kind of our uh, token uh, real player. <laughs> yeah. We you know, had a great time with that whole little stick, and it was fun. Uh, nothing too serious. But back in my college and dental school years, I played in several bands. And, uh, and then again, that we were the house band for this show called National Swingin' for about almost four years. That was a hoot, a lot of fun as well, and uh, played a lot of different kinds of music, mostly country, though. So uh, that, that, was, that seems like a, another lifetime at this stage of my life, but it was, it was good memories. So your, your parents were both uh, in music, right? As I understand, you grew up with music all around you. Your mom was a pianist. Your dad played guitar. Were they, were they professionals? Were they teachers? Or were they just hobbyists? Definitely not professionals. They were just a couple that, that sang together and, and enjoyed that. Our whole family reunions, things like that, were kind of centered around music. It was a great, a great drawing card for uh, my siblings and I have talked about this a lot. At the time, we sort of despised it and didn't really appreciate that much, but we look back on it, and it really it did kind of sew us all together. So, uh, But definitely just just want, just kind of uh, casual musicians that were not professional. Only my brother has turned out to, to be the one that has, has dove deep and uh, has done real well as a producer and guitar player here in Nashville. And as I understand it, you were first playing guitar before you picked up your bass. As I understand the story, your brother was just like, he picked up the guitar, pretty much whooped your butt, and you said, okay, <laughs> I, need, I need to find something else. Is that sort of how it went? Yeah, that's very accurate. He, he's five years younger, and by the time he was 11 or 12 years old, he was playing better than I was at 16 or 17. And, and it became real clear in the pecking order and in the family band uh, roster that he was going to be the guitar player and also turned out to be a banjo and fiddle player as well. He's 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 been uh, he's been real gifted, and so uh, it, it was no hard decision for where where I needed to go in in that band. And then it kind of stuck, so I, I just ended up focusing on bass from from that point on. How, how old were you and picked up the guitar? Probably uh, eleven or twelve, I, as I remember. I took some lessons and took piano lessons earlier in my life as well. So so music was always kind of dabbler you know I, I it wasn't very cool when I, where i went to school it was cool to play sports and if you played music that wasn't cool at least that was my perception so i really it, it took me getting a little bit older to to really get excited about it and uh, and work hard at it you grew up in uh, southern arkansas is that is that what i understand yes yes right near texarkana to tell me about that. So I, I grew up in Detroit, Michigan. So I think that my, yeah. uh, you know, my surroundings probably a little different than sort of where you grew up. What was, what was it like? <laughs> I think that'd be safe to say, Dennis. Um, <laughs> yeah, it, it was a, a small town, uh, population five thousand two hundred and eighty, and I think the population is now under five thousand. If that might be an indicator, sort of, of its uh, nature, but it was, um, it, it had a nice 
paper mill right in the middle of it, a few things that people identified with Ashdown, Arkansas. Had some great people, though, really, really salt of their people and a great place to be from and, and, to, and to think of as a, as a good place to build your character and, and, and build your uh, excitement to, to move on into bigger and better things. What your, would your folks do? My dad was a blue-collar fellow that came out of the Army and, and learned how to do body uh, automobile body repair and had his own body shop for years. And then he later started working at that paper mill I talked about. Very blue-collar. My mother was a school teacher. And so uh, we, were, we were very simple and uh, middle class. What's your memories when you're, when you're going through high school? What is Dennis Wells like as a, as a high schooler? Well... <laughs> Uh, again, lots of great memories of high school. Uh, there, there wasn't a lot of, uh, there wasn't a big class, wasn't a lot of big people to get lost in. So, so I felt pretty much in the center of things and uh, loved, loved football. That was my main sport. I played through high school and on into college a little bit, and, and again played a little music, and so pretty and worked hard. I, I had a lot of every, every summer. I had jobs to do and worked at a lumber yard and. Dairy Queen for a while, different things like that, just just trying to scrape up money to, to get along with. So didn't have a lot of exotic uh, camps and things like that that, that my kids today have. It, it was a much simpler life. Right. It's a different life. I mean, I, I just said to a patient, you know, we got to come back as our kids. But I don't know if I want that. I mean, there's, uh, there's something to be said for... <laughs> they have their own battleground, you know, too, don't they? They, they do. They have, their own t- they have a set of challenges. There's no doubt, and I, I don't think I'd like those challenges that they have to deal with then, day in and day out. Yeah, I think I'll agree with you on that. Absolutely. What position did you play in football? Well, in high school, I was, I was a little bit on both sides of the ball. Played some played a little outside linebacker and then played a little running back. In college, I, I actually went in as a QB in the start and uh, then at Harding University over there in middle Arkansas, and then got moved over to a little defense, a little corner and stuff before it was all over. But uh, never had a very glamorous football life either. I was one of those guys that liked the sport, and it was one that I felt like I had a little to contribute. But uh, again, I, at that time in my life, I was much more focused on trying to pay gas for my car, have a car, sure, <laughs> have some right. clothes. Right. Things like that. So, so uh, my kids live in a whole different uh, strata of, of the way they, they do their lives in school. And, uh, and sports is a huge part of their life. Like it, it's year-round in the sports right. that they're into, training and preparing and competing at much higher levels. Looking back on it, I think I was an enthusiast for the sport, but, but definitely not a serious, uh, too serious about it. But, but good memories and uh, some, some definite lessons that, Life lessons you get out of sports that you just can't get out of any other place, in my opinion, sometimes. so. Well, well you needed that name, image, and likeness back then, because that could have changed your whole career. <laughs> the NIL deals, I can't even emo- imagine what Dennis Wells would have paid to play quarterback at Harding, if you, you know, given the opportunity today. It's a whole new world. If they'd have come at me and said, look, you work as hard as you do in that lumber yard, and, and we might get you a position here with some kickback. I think I'd have, <laughs> I think I'd have been twenty four seven on that one. Right, exactly. It's a whole new world. So you're going to Harding. Were you were you thinking about dentistry when you were you know a seventeen year old, eighteen year old going going to Harding, or how how did this all how did it all come about? The short answer to that is that no, I wasn't thinking dentistry. I went in as a pre med student and and as a freshman football player. One of the things that began to to really register with me was that. I'm not going to make my living uh, doing uh, uh, football. And then my guidance counselor there, who was really, the football team had people that looked out after us a little bit, and 
he came to me one day and said, you know, uh, toward the end of my freshman year, and he goes, you've already kind of dug a little hole here with a 3.3 GPA that's probably going to be difficult at that time in the world to get into med school, hard to bring that back up, and said, you might want to think about a, another, you know, related health field, such, say, like dentistry, be a little easier to get into the school at that time. And I said, yeah, that, that sounds really good. I think I'll just swap and go to, go to pre-dentistry because in the little town I grew up in, there were a few people that I noted seemed to do okay and have a, a respected name in the town, and that was both doctors and dentists. And so uh, that's the way it's, it seemed to me back in 1975. When you were at Harding, did you have any classmates that were also going into dentistry? Like as you, as you decided you were going down that path? There may have been, I wasn't close to anybody that was also pre-dental. I felt kind of alone in my journey of, of taking the, the, the entrance exams and, and, and preparing myself in the classes and stuff. But uh, there may have been one or two, but there were several pre-med guys that we studied together and hung out. So you're, you're playing football, you're, you know, you're in college. I can't even imagine... Quite honestly, when I look at these athletes, and when I was at Michigan, there was a number of athletes that were pre-med. Um, we had, there's uh, Norm Betts, who's a prominent oral surgeon in, in Ann Arbor. He was a starting tight end for Michigan with Bo Schembechler as a first-year dental student. That's amazing. I mean, I can't even imagine. I mean, I, I truly, I was just trying to like, you know, find my end of the, uh, you know, of a waxing instrument as a D D one, let, let alone consider like, you know, having that type of responsibility. So, but even undergrad, we, you know, I'd, I'd have football players, especially not so much basketball players at Michigan, but I'd have football players and some other athletes that were in our classes. And I cannot even imagine trying to juggle the responsibilities of being, you know, a college athlete, even if it's a D3 school or whatever level, they're still, you know, they still expect a ton of time for you, right? They're still, you're still competing. How, how do you balance that? How do you balance oh, yes. doing yes. your education and, you know, prep, you know, you got a 3-3, three, three. heck, you know what? I don't know if I would have had a 1-3 if I had to spend all the time, you know, in football <laughs> practices and all that stuff. How do you how do you balance that? It was a challenge. I was used again to from my blue collar background. I was used to working a lot and being busy, and, and I did you know perform pretty well as a high school student. Um, I, I I thought I was fairly prepared for that, but it certainly kicked it up another gear. And the amount of time it, it took to to be in the practices was the big difference. Football was at that D two program. It, it was certainly as you said very demanding, even though it wasn't a SEC or you know big division one program it, it was it was plenty of work and and I wasn't uh, feeling like the the return on that was going to be significant enough to keep me from achieving some of my bigger goals which was to be a health professional of some sort that, that some some sort of doctor so it was a pretty easy decision for me after the second year to to, to leave the football field which I did and and focus on really trying to, to get into dental school. And looking back on it, I'm, I'm glad I did. It's, it's an interesting subject you're bringing up because uh, I, I have dear friends that their two boys both played at Auburn recently. One of them just got accepted into dental school last year. And man, how deep respect I have for, the, for him to be able, as you said, to do all of that. And then bringing it back to home, I'm super proud of my older son, Landon. He um, just got uh, accepted into Vanderbilt and he's going to be playing football there in the fall. Whoa. So cool. Congratulations. I'm really, I'm really eager to see, and, and I'm actually quite confident he will have a lot on his old man and be able to measure it really strong in, on the field as well as uh, in the academics. But that's, 
that's a that's a real tough road that's not for everybody that let's be let's be clear about that it is not for everybody you know i think i'd be humble right i think you have to sort of understand that you can't be all things all people right if you want to do academics and do the athletics i think you have to recognize you know sort of your your limitations and then be able to be just you know be able to dig your heels in and when it's time to study be time to study and when it's time to work out it's time to work out and when it's time to be with your friends time to be with your friends and try not to i think try to you know intermingle all that stuff is that is that right Oh yes, I would agree with all of that. I, I think it's obvious that man, you, you got to be a special person with a, a ton of horsepower and and a discipline that's just not common. And uh, and obviously, especially a, as a seventeen-year-old, right, or an eighteen-year-old. Yeah, right. A real common focus on and, and purpose, you know, that you're very clear about. So, but there are countless examples of, of men, like you pointed out, that have done this at a high level, played high-level programs managed to go on and get into professional schools both both you know medical and dental and other healthcare areas that are very tough or, or law school for example so my hats off to anybody that's done it i tried it and and i'm thankful that that it worked out i i, I can't believe how grateful i am that um, dentistry became my, my second rate decision at the time it felt like like my compromise i think turned out to be one of the biggest blessings of my life. It's fit me so well in, in, in just what I feel like are my skill sets and, and kind of my wheelhouse areas. So I'm not sure the whole medical world would have, the medical doctor world would have fit me nearly as well. So lots, lots of accidental gratitude there. Right. Of all the people that we've spoken to, uh, Amanda C. and Adamo, gosh, Newton Fall, so many people who've done so much for dentistry weren't even thinking about dentistry as kids, and they happened upon it through one way or another, some sort of influence. Um, Frank Spear spoke um, at a meeting not too long ago about influences, and Frank was a football player like, uh, like you were in college. He was at Chico State, and one of his teachers, I think it was his biology teacher, saw something in him. And she asked Frank to stick around after class one day. And she asked Frank, well, you know, what are you going to do, Frank, when you're done? And he said, well, I'm going to be, I'm going to be a coach, football coach. And she said, I know you're not. And she like figuratively took him by the ear and dragged him down to the counselor's office who happened to be a retired dentist. He was like the, uh, sort of the, the pre-health uh, counselor. And um, she said, no, you, you got bigger things for you. And she planted him down, and and that was the beginning of Frank moving towards dentistry. And so I had no these, idea these influences. And man, yeah, isn't that a, crazy? What a what a great move! What a great break for dentistry that right? that teacher yeah. had that influence on him. And and I and when when we were talking before this, one of one of the reasons I've, I do the sharecast is because I think it's so interesting the influences that people have, the mentorship that people have. One one of the things that we do in the Restorative Academy. Each year, during there's a, a committee meeting that meets before the, the, the actual Restorative Academy. And at that committee meeting, uh, they eulogize the members who had passed uh, during the previous years. And part of the committee members' uh, responsibilities is to do the eulogy. 
And so for several years, I was on that committee, and I had to learn about dentists that I actually, I hadn't met for several of them, because they were older, they, were, they had retired by the time I had come into the academy. And so I, I had the opportunity to call up their, their spouse or their children or their partners in practice, and I got to learn about these people. And as I learned about them, it's like they had these fascinating stories. Everyone had these fascinating histories. And it could have been their, their sailing enthusiasm or how they would take their kids skiing and the, the, the memories that their, their kids would have. And I, that was somewhat of the influence with this is that I think that it's so interesting to hear for all of us, like where, where people came from, right? And the fact that Frank Spear was going to be a football coach, and here he is with you know one of the one of the greatest influencers and teachers in dentistry. Why I'm doing what I'm doing, quite frankly, because I saw Frank Spear as a young dentist. And for people like who are listening to Dennis Wells right now and saying, "Oh, how interesting!" and this is a you know a path that he fell into. We'll talk more about your dentistry accolades in a little bit, but I think that's super interesting. I always find this fascinating. Indeed, indeed. I want to talk about dental school because everyone has different dental school experiences. So you were in dental school in the, around the same era that I was. You, what, what year did you graduate dental school at Tennessee? 1983. All right. So you were graduating right when I was getting started. I was starting in 85, I guess. Um, what was dental school like for you when you, were, when you went to Tennessee? What do you remember? It was some of the best days of my life in many ways when I look back on it. Uh, I was so excited to be there and and focused on the end game of, of becoming a dentist and determined not to fail, work as hard as I could. Some of it the first year when it was all academics was a little tough for me. That that was not my best amen. year. Let's put it that way. Amen. Amen, um, brother. But it, amen. I got a second on that. <laughs> it, but then, uh, you know, as we quickly rolled into some of the actual dental work and lab work and, and into the clinical phases of things, I felt like I just kind of took off. Like it, it was really enjoyable. And I, I, I found it, fit, again, fitting my wheelhouse, uh, hands and eyes and things like that. I felt like, hey, I can do this. And uh, so it, it was, you know, overall a good experience, particularly my, my last couple of years in the clinic. I enjoyed that a lot and found that not to be too, too much of a struggle and, 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 and stumbled into the whole arena of composite bonding during that time period that had one instructor that kind of took a shine to me a little bit, it seemed like, and, and I had my credits finished up pretty, pretty early in my senior year. So he worked with me quite a bit with bonding, which was so exciting to me to, to be able to take composite materials and like cure them and, and, and do things that I couldn't even imagine. So it, it, it was clearly what launched me out of there with a interest, a keen interest in aesthetics was one instructor who, who showed me a lot of things that were going on that he was really excited about. And wow, I, I don't know. I can't imagine my life with it not having all that influence of composite bonding. Huh, that's so, well, I mean, because it was just in its infancy when you were, when you were in school, when you're coming out. So you were using Concise and Adapt and sort of those products, yeah? That, that's exactly right. It was early on, and, you know, the whole polymerization with lights was brand new. They're still mostly self-cured things, uh, auto-cured things. And so, man, it was, it was a new era. And being able to, to combine some artistry with, with the science I'd learned was a perfect mix for me. It really felt good. Do you remember the first uh, dental procedure you did as a dental student, a non, non-profi, like an actual procedure where you had to drill a tooth and fill it? I don't have vivid memory of it, but I, but I do you know, have general memory of, of doing, some, uh, doing my first amalgam filling on somebody and uh, all of the tension of numbing and, and everything on down. 
But again, it, it wasn't traumatic for me. It didn't feel like I've heard a lot of people describe it as in different ways. But, but for me, it was just thrilling. To, and, and I felt like such a, I don't know, a noble person to be able to do stuff like that. So, so I, I felt very blessed. When you were in dental school, were you planning on heading back to Arkansas all, all along? Was that sort of the intention, go back home? Not necessarily. I, uh, Memphis was the first big, where I went to dental school, was the first big market I had lived in. And it didn't take but a couple of years to, to really kind of recognize what I had not had the luxury of, of experiencing before, which was, you know, a big market with professional sports and entertainment and things like that. So the bug bit me pretty early that, man, you may want to look around a little bit. But uh, interestingly, I, I, I had a, a call one day when I was in a third year of school about to go into the fourth from a dentist in Nashville, Tennessee, and he uh, invited me to come up. He was looking for an associate. And boy, was that interesting. He drove me around, literally in the place I'm sitting today uh, here in Brentwood, in the suburb of Nashville. And I felt like I had seen the Garden of Eden here. It, it was so beautiful and, and well-developed and planned area. He had a beautiful brand-new building and, you know, great practice. Very, very enticing. What swayed me the most was the, the concept of working for somebody else and not, not being able to kind of do things the way I wanted to do them led me oh, back to go back to my small town in Arkansas, or near there, about, a, about an hour drive from where I grew up. Small town that was by beautiful areas, had lakes and natural beauty and geography and uh, some nice people. And so I made a conscious decision to, to not go to a big market and, and to start my practice from scratch. But from the first day I did that, I had a full schedule, and so it, it, was, it was bountiful <laughs> in a way. But it was very stressful trying to be all things to all people and do, doing everything from third molar extractions down to endo and, and various things that I'd maybe done five of them in dental sure. school. There was a good bit of further training on that was at the expense of some of my patients back then. <laughs> but but we uh, you know hung on to that. But as I went along a couple of years down that path, again, the... The bigger market was calling, and not only that, but just a desire to, to narrow the scope of what I was doing back more into artistic dentistry or what we call appearance-related dentistry. That that was always uh, in my head very vividly from the t my last year in school and the, that instructor kind of lighting that, that torch for me. Oh, that's incredible. So, I mean, for... for People who weren't around at that time, so I graduated in 88. Again, as I talked about in the intro, pores and veneers were just like getting started, right? I mean, there were very few people, and I want to talk about this in a second, really it was just com composites were just in their infancy. So you were, you were early, you were an early adapter. You saw something that most people did not see. Did you have any classmates that also had that bug or did you like... Were you like just like this one person that was out there and everyone else is like, like, I remember, here, I'll tell you a story. So when I was in high school, my buddy and I, we took a uh, computer class. So this would have been 1980, 1981. And it was Fortran and they had the little IBM cards and we had to punch the little things. And my, my, my buddy's a very successful physician now. And um, we both took this class and we're both like, this is the dumbest thing ever. <laughs> 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 These computers are no going nowhere. This is this, this is just you know we we joke about fail. this all the time, like like we just didn't see, we didn't have that vision. So when you're in dental school and you're you're seeing these materials, were you like on, a, on an island? Were you like you like were other people like yeah? Dennis is like 
Dennis is off in space, like having these dreams of doing appearance related dentistry or, or what was it like? I don't think I was alone. I, I think I had other classmates that, that liked the composite world a lot and saw some of the benefits and, and like me, experienced uh, the, the joy of, uh, that I had in school early of doing something that made a tooth look better and the patient would just get all excited and like begging when can they come back and get more done and that sort of thing as opposed to the dreaded, you know, grip in the chair kind of mentality that we all saw so much as well. And so it was a combination, I think, of feeling like, okay, I think I'm pretty good at this, and then okay, people love it. That was making that very easy for me to to know what I really wanted to do. And then when I practiced out in the general dentistry setting in a small town where there were no specialists, so I was forced to do. I felt forced. People would act, would actually insinuate you weren't even a real dentist if you didn't do all right. these things, you know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so. I tried my hand at wearing all the hats, <clears throat> and I was very frustrated with that. I felt like I wasn't doing anything really great, and and then I learned all about the, the you know, the treatment of standards and and how when there's specialties in our profession, uh, you have to treat to that standard. And so that was always a a bit of a sense of discomfort of like, can I do that? Do I really have that ability or training? So all that culminated into me just narrowing more and more. I did a lot of free smile design stuff in my little small town because it wasn't obviously the kind of culture that everybody had the money and, and wanted to look like movie stars but it was it was I, I never had a problem knowing what I wanted to do and then it was fortunate there was some little uh, course that was given by Denmat and I think that was my first year out maybe that was 84 that I got to go attend and see um, actually bonding on porcelain veneers and that was like, wow, look at that, you know. And, of course, they were doing these real bulky um, things, very infancy of, of the porcelain veneer world. So right. it, it was still lacked a lot to, to, to be learned. But, but you could just kind of grab hold of the, look at, you know, look at the possibilities here. All of that happened in pretty early when I was out of school, and I just began to pursue that pretty heavily. I'm not sure I had any other classmates that were quite as, stoked about it as I was, but, but there were certainly people that were, you know, already doing some bonding and in, in incorporating that into their practice. But most of them, I think, had just more of an idea of a family kind of practice. And I could envision this being kind of a specialty that, that you would do. And when I came to Nashville, that truly was a part of my thinking is that I'm going to get up there and I'm going to, I'm going to try to be the dentist of these celebrities one day. And it seemed like a far-fetched dream for a while, but I, I had some sense in my head that I could do this. And then when I got around the country people, the, the, the music people and the industry, got to know a few of them, I felt like, okay, now I've got a little connection that I can, I can build and make this reality. So all of that, but I realized I had to get better and better and really, really have the, I had to be legit. And so that, that kept me spending all of my money going to uh, continuing education, more courses. And then I, I joined the AACD and I believe that was 91 and that that really propelled me into some confidence and, and a lot more skill sets and a lot more knowledge and a lot more mentors. Uh, I, I owe so much of my career to that organization. It was just simply amazing to me to be the first meeting I went to. I, I was like a kid in a candy store of just seeing people that I've been reading Dentistry Today articles on or some of the periodicals that we had and they were like movie stars to me. They were rock stars and 
I couldn't, and I couldn't believe that I had access to them, and, and they could tell me what lab they're using and what bonding agent, and you know, it was just I couldn't, I couldn't lap it up quick enough. Dennis, who were your, uh, who were your first mentors as you started getting into cosmetic dentistry? Who were some of the names? Well, Bob Nixon comes to mind. Danny Matardami, that was uh, the founder of Da Vinci Lab, Da Vinci Laboratories, was a, a neat guy. He encouraged me early on. He, he talking about not knowing your level of influence, he will never know a call he made to me one day and he goes, hey, uh, I just wanted to say hello to you. I'm the owner of this lab and you've been sending us a little work and I've been looking at your preps and they're just beautiful, son. I just really want to, you know, you know, commend you on that. And man, he might as well give me a million dollars. You know, that, that, that just made my day. And then as a result, I got a call from Bob Nixon who said, Danny tells me you're really, you're really good here. And I just want to, you know, I just want to get to know you a little bit. And and, and then we, when I went to the second meeting, I believe it was, he came up and we got to meet face to face. And so the journey is full of people like that. Bill Dorfman was a mentor of mine and photography and how he, how he marketed and postured his practice in, in a big market like that, like Los Angeles. I'm, I'm leaving a lot out, I know. And, and of course, I'm thinking early on and then as I went along, so many more people like John Coyce and Jimmy Eubank and... Frank Spear and all these people uh, just begin to uh, Pascal. It just goes on and on of people that I feel like I, I just have learned so that are just brilliant. You know that yeah. taught me so much. Dennis, if you don't mind, I still have more stuff to ask you, and this is running a little bit late, and I'm hoping you can stick around for a little bit longer. But I actually want to break this into a second segment because I want to talk about your influence with thin veneers and prepless or no prep veneers. Yeah, because I think that needs some conversation because I think you've made a big change for us in dentistry. And I want to talk a little bit about where we had, where we went and where we've come back to. And I think a lot of that is from the influences of people like yourself, especially. So dental online trainers, uh, thank you for hanging out with us for our part one, where we got to learn a little bit about Dennis and his background. And in our next segment, we're going to be talking about how we should be looking at teeth before we prepping teeth. How much should we be prepping? What should we be thinking about? What should we be looking at? How we should be conserving enamel? And Dennis Wells is the guy that needs to uh, be addressing that for us. So we'll look forward to seeing you at our next segment. So until next time, I'm Dr. Dennis Hartlieb. Thank you, Dennis. And yours for better dentistry. We'll see you next time. Well, I hope that you enjoyed our visit with Dennis. I got caught up with Dennis talking about his background in music and his early influences in dentistry that I didn't get a chance to talk about his thoughts on veneer preparations and conservative dentistry and some of the, some of the things he's learned along the way. I also want to know what's it like to be a dentist of the stars. So look forward to part two of our interview with Dennis Wells coming soon. Now, also, don't forget that DOT has so many other great opportunities from our Wine and Unwind. These are our monthly webinars where we engage real time with our viewers. You get to ask questions. We get to answer your questions. You get to do a deep dive into a subject matter maybe that you just want more experience with. We also have our monthly study club sessions, what I call our coffee and donut study club. These are sessions where you get to bring in cases that you're working on or cases that you have questions about, and we get to work through some of the issues that maybe challenge you in your practice. We also talk about things like practice leadership and practice management, things that we're dealing with daily in our dental practices. We also have our live virtual workshops. In fact, we have our sixth tooth direct resin veneer course coming up June 18th and 19th, 2022. So check that out on our DOT website. We have our blogs, and of course, we have our endless selection of hands-on, pre-recorded technique courses to help you improve the dentistry you can provide for your patients. So check us out at dothandson.com, 
And thanks for joining us. And as always, yours for better dentistry. I'm Dr. Dennis Hartley. Thanks so much for listening to the Sharecast. If you are not yet a subscriber, please do subscribe to our Sharecast wherever you get your podcasts. And if you're loving the Sharecast, share it with your colleagues. And please rate it and leave us a review. Also, if you want access to fantastic clinical, managerial, and leadership tips to help you in your practice of dentistry, check us out at dothandson.com or find me on Instagram at HartleyDDS. This episode was created with special help from Claire O'Neill. It was edited by Ashley Dixon-Ellison and with original music by Chris Peterson. Again, thank you for listening. I'm Dr. Dennis Hartley, yours for better dentistry.